From leading the largest chamber in the state to taking the reins of New Hampshire's statewide Chamber of Commerce, we speak to the new president and CEO of the Business and Industry Association of New Hampshire about the organization's legislative priorities and what bills are most concerning for New Hampshire's businesses. I'm Matt Murray, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. So Nathan, yes, Matthew. We are heading into your high holy season. I My understand. High holy season. Well, two of them because I'm Jewish. Number one, so that's coming. <laughs> <laughs> that, but what um, I was referring to was golf season is oh, upon us. That is my high holy season. Does and your wife become a golf widow this time of year, or is she into it as well? I try to um, be the responsible husband and and you know go play golf at times that won't impact the family too much. And she is good enough to say sure once in a while, like go on a Saturday or a Sunday and spend the entire day, you know, trying to get a ball in a hole. Sure. She's not a golfer, obviously, because she's like, well, she's tried a few times. She's like, and I said to her one year, I was like, you going to play with me? And she said, I don't think it's my game. I'm with her. Okay. I understand her. Right. If it doesn't involve a windmill, it's just not for me. I do we not do have, that too. But well, I, the thing is, <laughs> I have zero patience mm-hmm. and zero coordination, so mm-hmm. this just does not work out. For I am. Me well. I mean, I'm the last guy who's going to say he's athletic by any means. <laughs> so there's that. So if I can do something, you know, I, I give anybody a little bit of. So when do you chance. start hearing the siren call? I mean, because I mean, for golfers, it's like you know, it's. Like ice out for the rest of the state. Oh, it's like I know. when does I the know. last well, drop? Well, so of I can tell you this. Move. I know that my two main courses that I want to play first of the season are well, three actually are all opening like Mother's Day weekend. Of course, have to be the good husband, right? So not going to play golf on Mother's Day weekend. That um, is advisable. That's very smart of me. Um, and then because I'm up north, that is you know they're opening up later. Some are open now. Some are opening. Um, you know, as we as we go, by the time this airs, um, I'm hoping that they'll all be open so I can just start Woo-hoo. to put them on the calendar. So and I'm he- actually heading for a um, get this a fitting, a club fitting. OK, you had brought this up and I admit, I had that life. dog reaction, ear yeah. flopped, cocked head. Yeah. What is a club fitting? OK, so, um, well. Our, our guest who is with us but said this earlier, think of it as uh, buying a, a golf club off the shelf as buying a suit off the shelf. If you just put that suit on, it's like, eh, it might look a little baggy, might need to be shorter, longer, this, wider, this, you know. So it's it's custom to you, right? Uh-huh. So they use technology. You can, and in, the, in my case, I'm going to, it'll be in front of a simulator or at a golf simulator. So they've got technology that can tell you your ball spin and your angle off the club and you're this and you're that and your ball speed and the, you know, all of these things about your swing. And they can slightly tweak angles of the you know club the the length of the shaft all these other things um to give me more yards more accuracy all that kind of stuff i've never had one in my entire life i got a few new clubs this year and i said you know what i'm gonna do it because if i got new clubs i might they might as well be like tuned in right if i got a new suit it might as well fit me like a glove so that's it. Do you plan on entering with the new clubs, kind of like Thor's hammer raised above? I'm going to go. Beware my might. I'm going to go with no. 
<laughs> because because they may ask me to turn around and go home. And that's true. It's true. It is true. All right. Another rabbit hole here on BizCast and H. We're excited to have Mike Skelton with us this week. Let's dive right in. Mike Skelton currently serves as president and CEO of the Business and Industry Association of New Hampshire, the BIA as we know it, the state's leading business advocate and statewide chamber of commerce. Previously, Mike served as president and CEO of the Greater Manchester Chamber, the state's largest regional chamber of commerce. Mike has more than 12 years of leadership experience in the chamber of commerce industry. He is also a member of the board of directors of Amiskeg Industries, a member of the trustees of Manchester's Palace Theater, and was appointed by Governor Sununu to serve as a board member for the New Hampshire Housing Finance Authority. Mike lives in Bedford with his wife, Emily, and their two children, Colin and Eleanor. And we're psyched to have you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's our pleasure. And first of all, welcome to the new role. It's uh, not so new anymore. Um, How's it going at the BIA? It's going great. It's been a great experience. Everything I could have hoped for um, it is a new experience, you know, after having been at the Manchester Chamber for uh, a wonderful and, and really uh, just great experience of eight years as CEO. Um, so to be in a new organization mm. at first, you know, it's a little uh, disarming and, and a lot of new people to get to meet. Uh, but that's what makes it fun and interesting. Cool. I, uh, uh, during my first month, I, I spent a couple of days on the road up in the North Country, you know, meeting with members and traveling to other parts of the state. I've been mm-hmm. doing lots of outreach meetings really all over New Hampshire. Nice. So um, it's been both engaging and, and really educational uh, nice. because it's a different organization um, from where I'm coming from, yeah. but sharing a lot of the same values mm-hmm. and, and a similar mission, which is exciting. Yeah. And you, you kind of had the, the advocacy piece uh, in Manchester. And of course, the BIA has that on steroids and does a fantastic job there. Um, you've got a, a really solid team at the BIA. Tell us kind of about that team that and what their focus is and what they're working on for members. Absolutely. Yeah. That was really one of the main selling points of the opportunity. <laughs> I was really excited and honored for the chance to lead an organization like the BIA, which has, you know, a long, uh, successful history uh, and tradition as an institution in the state. And it has a very experienced team mm-hmm. already in place. And so uh, it's a team of eight. And uh, three of our team members are, are registered lobbyists and head up our policy and advocacy team under the leadership of Dave Juve, who's mm-hmm. our senior vice president of public policy. And um, Dave has been with the uh, BAA for, for more than 20 years. So as an incoming CEO, to have someone like that who I can learn from and absorb institutional history and all of the the policy work and knowledge he has has been wonderful. We've got some uh, newer members of the team who are fantastic. And, um, you know, some uh, our other team members in marketing and programs and operations, you know, just uh, it's a finely oiled machine. And um, so my charge really is one, don't break it. Um, <laughs> and uh, don't, mess you, it up. Yeah, don't mess it up. But um, to work with our board and with our staff to shape the future vision of the organization. Nice. And, you know, advocacy is becoming a more challenging um, area to uh, to work in, I would I would say. And uh, some of the, the issues and um, policy challenges facing our state and facing our business community are becoming more complex or mm. harder to find consensus around. Mm. So as an organization, 
um, that it, that issue that's central to our mission. Um, we have to be thinking about how would, how do we evolve and change to continue to serve our members, and um, that's what I'm really setting out to do right now. Um, you know, I, I made clear that uh, you know the role of the CEO is not to have all the answers. Right. Um, you know, it, uh, it doesn't make sense for me to kind of come charging through the front door and say <laughs> on day one, "Hey, everybody, I've got all these great ideas. Let's change everything you've been doing." Uh, my job is really to go out and listen and and learn from our staff and from our board members and from other partners and stakeholders and try to absorb as much as I can and then bring forward what I think are the trends or themes or, or common ideas so that we can start to develop a, a long range vision for the organization. And so that's what I'm really excited to do over the next couple of months. Cool. <laughs> but before we go much further, we've been alluding to it, but I, you know, can you talk about specifically what is the mission of BIA? What are, what is the activities that it undertakes who its members are? Uh, maybe explain a little more in depth about what the organization is. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in simple terms, the, the BIA is the state's uh, statewide chamber of commerce leading business advocate, and also manufacturing association. Uh, so we are the, um, the formal affiliate of the National uh, Manufacturing Association. We represent um, a very large portion of our state's manufacturers, uh, along with um, uh, businesses from all industries of all sizes from across the state. Um, our mission is simply to ensure that our business climate is favorable and allowing for robust business growth and job growth. And so what policy areas um, are there that we can shape, guide, and influence to ensure that that business climate exists for business success? Um, across our 400 or so members, um, we represent nearly 90,000 uh, New Hampshire employees um, and an economic impact of $4.5 billion annually to the state's economy. And so it's been an interesting, to say the least, legislative <laughs> session that we've been undergoing. Um, you know, but as you look at what's been passed and what's been being worked on currently, where has the legisla legislature gotten it right when it comes to businesses? And where are the areas of concern right now? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we're recording, we're nearing the halfway point of the legislative session. So there's been a lot of business dealt with already of issues that perhaps have been dispatched for the year um, that are no longer of concern. Um, and there are some things moving forward um, that uh, I think we're still concerned about and also a few things that we're supportive of and, and hopeful about. I would say just generally uh, like a, a general comment um, on legislature and how they could approach the business climate in the setting. We're obviously coming out of a pretty difficult and challenging couple of years with the pandemic. And businesses had a, a very um, tough 2020, um, faced with a lot of unknowns and uncertainty and kind of a frozen economy for a period of time. 2021 was a slow re-entry, rebuild, filled with some ups and downs, depending on what industry you're in. Although I'm hearing from many industries now, particularly some manufacturers, that um, you know activity came roaring back in 2021 and they had really strong years. Um, but in other industries like hospitality and tourism, they're still trying to stabilize and rebuild. Um, so I think from a policymaker standpoint, one of the best things that can be done in 2022 is uh, do no harm 
and ensure stability in our business climate so that businesses can continue to navigate their way through whatever phase of the pandemic we're entering next. Mm -hmm. And that there's been proven to be throughout the last couple of years, a lot of unknowns and twists and turns. And for businesses, that uncertainty can be uh, pretty scary and it can have a detrimental impact on their ability to grow and be stable. So the last thing we need is sudden volatile policy changes as well. So I think that's kind of an overarching comment on you know what we have been um, uh, showcasing and kind of communicating to, to policymakers as a general approach. In terms of specific issues, um, you know, there's a couple that uh, come to mind that the legislature is contemplating right now. Our business tax climate is always uh, important to keep an eye on, particularly as businesses are in uh, many of them in a period of recovery. And so the legislature is considering a, a tax cut to the business profits tax, a relatively small tax cut, but a cut nonetheless. And, um, you know, normally we wouldn't expect that to have a lot of uh, legs in a non-budget year. Um, but because the state budget is racking up such a large surplus, there seems to be some uh, momentum behind uh, providing that cut. So uh, that's something we're interested in and supportive of. I um, think it would have a meaningful impact for many businesses and would send a pretty powerful message about the business climate uh, coming out of this uh, period of uncertainty. Um, the other area that I would say is more of concern is that there have been lots of pieces of legislation filed in response to the pandemic and some of the uh, protocols and safety precautions and mandates that cities or towns or businesses or the state uh, put in place to protect folks uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so in response, some legislators have filed bills to prevent these types of activities or actions from taking place in the future. A good example being vaccine mandates and the ability for an employer to mandate a vaccine for their, their workforce. And the BIA's position is, um, and this is based on a, a long-term policy position of ours, that we just don't think it's the state's role to be putting themselves in between an employer and an employee. And there are some employers out there who have determined uh, implementing a vaccine mandate is not the right decision for their business, and they have other approaches to work with their workforce to keep them safe. And there are other employers out there who have determined that it is important for them to have a, a vaccine mandate, like, they, like healthcare institutions who have mandates for all sorts of, of vaccines. And so our approach is we really think the legislature should stay out of this arena um, and allow employers to make the best decisions for um, uh, their employees and their workforce. And, um, you know, there's a lot of unintended consequences that come with those types of bills that, you know, we could get more into. But um, safe to say there were dozens of pieces of legislation of that ilk that were filed this year. Many have already been dispatched. There's a few that are still around that we're going to be working on quite a bit. Interesting. So you also, um, well, we talked earlier, you mentioned the staff and that some of them are registered lobbyists and all that. So do a couple of things for me. One, um, for any listeners who don't um, really uh, are not familiar with lobbyists and, and, and their role, um, tell us a little bit about that. But also, um, there are so many bills. You've got priorities, uh, legislative priorities that are set by the organization and through feedback for your from your members. Um, so at least you've got a baseline of things to follow, which is nice. But how is your team 
you know, keeping up with all this, following this, are you testifying? Are you hearing from members? Like how, what, it must be a fire hose at this time of year with all <laughs> yeah. of the, with everything that's going on. Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, I think it's, uh, kind of, uh, under the hood. One of the most impressive things about the BIA mm-hmm. is how nimble it is in responding to pending legislation. So, um, each year we go into each year with a public, pro, uh, public policy priorities document. Mm, easy that for is, you to say. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, uh, PPP. We have a lot of that good, lately, good. Yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so the, uh, our, this priorities document is based upon, um, uh, round tables we hold with our members, uh, what we work on with our board, our board of directors during our board retreat. It's a comprehensive document that establishes our priorities across all sorts of areas, whether it's healthcare or energy or tax climate or workforce development. Um, and our staff is able to use that document to filter all the pieces of legislation that are filed th- against that priorities document and then make recommendations to our committees, um, to our board on how we should weigh in on those issues. Um, but what's really impressive is, as I mentioned, how nimble we are able mm-hmm. to respond because mm-hmm. bills come up and you you miss some earlier in the session yeah. or yeah. you think some that might not have some legs end up getting some momentum behind them. Um, so we have a what's called a, a policy advisory subcommittee that meets every week mm. that is made up of our executive board members as well as the committee chairs of our policy committees. <clears throat> and staff uses those call those calls every week to brief them on what bills are being scheduled and are pending and uh, making recommendations of for, against, neutral, um, and then in terms of the tactics we use, it's mm-hmm. all the above. It could be testifying, it could be writing op-eds or letters, it could be meeting one-on-one with legislators or meeting with legislative leadership. It's all subject to what's the issue and what strategy do we feel is gonna uh, result in the best outcome for our members and our advocacy priorities. Fascinating, fascinating. In addition to the, the legislative activity of the BIA, you also uh, have information sessions uh, for for your members. What type of um, where are where does the interest lie in the business community now? Where are their concerns? Where are they asking you get us more information on this? Yeah, it's a great question. And and as the statewide chamber, you know, I think we we function much like chambers do in individual communities or serving regions where we're a hub of information on what other organizations are doing, what various levels of government are doing with new projects and programs, um, and what's happening in the business community on certain issues, what's happening at the federal level. You know, as an example, we have a committee meeting with our technology committee that's hearing about the new broadband initiative at the state. And so, you know, we're trying to pull from the headlines and look what are pending issues that people are talking Mm -hmm. about and having concerns about, and how can we build our policies and our events and our information sessions around those uh, concerns. Um, I would say, you know, uh, this is partly informed by all the member outreach visits I've been doing. Um, In almost every visit, uh, regardless of business size or industry, we're talking about workforce for the majority of the meeting when it comes to what challenges are you facing. Um, So workforce is kind of the overriding challenge so many businesses are facing. Um, And it's multifaceted depending on what industry they're in. And it ends up uh, bleeding into other policy areas like housing 
Mm -hmm. And which is why workforce housing and housing policy has emerged as such a important issue for the BIA to be engaged in because of its direct correlation and impact on the ability to attract and retain a workforce, which is regardless of whether it's a, a committee meeting, a member roundtable, an event of some sort, you know, workforce is on the agenda. And I suspect that, you know, with our unemployment rate already back below pre-pandemic levels, Workforce is going to be the animating discussion within the business community for the foreseeable future. We're certainly hearing that from our readers. And, and, and like you said, workforce housing is a chief concern among theirs is, is a big part of that. Are there certain initiatives that you're keeping an eye on uh, that you're hopeful will help to move the state in the right direction when it comes to workforce housing? Yeah. I, I, what I would say first is that... Um, so often with complex problems like this, there are no silver bullet solutions. Right. So um, there is no grand bargain or, or massive policy initiative that can solve this all at once. It's going to take a lot of little things over a long period of time. Um, so there's been a couple of things that I think uh, we're pleased about and we would like to see keep going and some, some exciting things coming down the road. Um, you know, in terms of a good policy initiative uh, that the state implemented within the last uh, year is the Housing Appeals Board, um, which was something that the BIA lobbied for. Um, extensively, and we're pleased to see adopted, um, which what it essentially is, is a new regulatory body at the state level that provides an expedited path of appeal for housing projects that are running into approval issues at the local level. Mm -hmm. um, so at the local level, prior to the Housing Appeals Board, the only path for appeal for a developer would be the court system, um, which is time consuming and often projects would die before they could even get a hearing in the court system. The Housing Appeals Board offers an expedited path. Um, so it does not create any sort of new loophole or um, powers for a housing project to move forward. It just gets them an answer quicker mm -hmm. on whether they should be able to move forward or not and what they're proposing. And we think that's good for communities and it's good for developers and it's working. Um, there have already been a number of projects that have been brought to the Housing Appeals Board. Some have been ruled in favor of the community. Some have been ruled in favor of the developer. So we think take that as a sign that it's working. It should stay in place. And I should mention that there's actually been some legislation this session to try and repeal or weaken the Housing Appeals Board, which right. we have lobbied against extensively. And at this time, we never say never until session is over, but at this time, those initiatives appear to be dead for the year. And uh, so we think we need consistency in housing policy. And so um, that's a good one and, and I think is working and will make a, ma uh, make a difference over a period of time. Um, the thing that is exciting and that um, uh, you know, I'm pleased to see um, was announced and, and moved forward is um, Governor Sununu announced a new housing invest NH fund, about $100 million of American Rescue Plan funds um, that are new targeted grants to support the development of more multifamily um, low-income, moderate-income workforce housing. Uh, grants that could be used by developers, that could be used by communities. Um, so that fund has some work to do to get set up and are formally approved. Um, but that's an example of, I think, the type of effort we're going to need over a consistent period of time, several years, um, in putting extra resources in the hands of developers and communities in order to incentivize the type of housing we need, which is basically across the map. 
um, you know, market rate, moderate income, low income, you know, starter homes. We need just about everything if we're to meet what demand is right now. Right, exactly. Um, we've talked a lot about uh, legislative uh, poli- uh, policy and legislative priorities, um, but at least for a minute until Matt comes up with some more stellar questions, which he always <laughs> has, I want to dig into uh, to you for a little bit. Um, we know you're leading the BIA. We know you have some really um, extensive experience at Chambers. Um, I'll start with this. So uh, chamber leaders, because you are a leader in community, uh, are naturally what we'll call in the most positive way sucked into community involvement, right? Um, But so besides being sucked into community involvement, what drives you as an individual to get involved with an organization, to volunteer your time and your expertise uh, for for the good of that organization? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think I, I've talked about this in, in other arenas before, but um, I was very involved in scouting growing up. And, you know, that instilled in me a lot of uh, values that I think have stuck with me my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of citizenship and leadership and being part of a community and working with others. And um, that just, you know, those values, when it came time to figure out what a career path was, <laughs> you know, I got to be honest, I didn't really envision myself going down the chamber path, the association management path. Mm-hmm. But once I got into that career and once I got into that, I realized this is everything that, you know, has always appealed to me. This really aligns with my my core values and interest. And, you know, I've, I've always, you know, believed in, you know, People who share the same goals and values working together, you're, you're going to turn out better results than people working on their own. Yeah. And that's at the core of what organizations and chambers and civic institutions are all about. So, um, you know, I, I think that those ideas of what really have um, brought me into this line of work and what have kept me there mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm just a believer in those ideas and, and what they can accomplish. Nice. Nice. You're also a, um, I think, 2016 uh, Leadership New Hampshire graduate. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about sort of that experience and what that gave you? Uh, uh, as a professional and as as an active community member, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think leadership programs are uh, just a great, great experience and um, highest recommendation to to anyone who's considering that. Um, I started going through Leadership Greater Manchester mm-hmm. earlier in my career, mm-hmm. um, and so that kind of got me interested in in those types of programs and and gave me a great overview of Manchester and Greater Manchester at a time when. Um, uh, you know, I was starting my career, but what those programs really do in my view is aside from the education on issues and places, um, is you, you meet people who share the same ideas and values who are emerging leaders themselves and you make lifelong friends and, and professional contacts and leadership, New Hampshire was a great way to, uh, build on what at the time was, I think a regional, uh, perspective to understanding the state more holistically and spending more time in other parts of the state other than going up to the mountains for a hike or, you know, going to the lakes region on vacation Mm -hmm. or, you know, going to parts of the state that I haven't been from, from more of a citizen context and, you know, what the major employers are in those part of the states and what community challenges they're facing. So, you know, it helped me understand New Hampshire better as a as an overall state and the the challenges we share but also the the unique issues facing each part of our of our state got it thank you while you've spent a big 
part of your career in Chambers, your path there was through politics. So can you talk about, first of all, what prompted that love of politics and what your foray into that was and, and how it led you into chamber work? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't know exactly where it started, uh, but early on in, you know, this is going back to my school age years in high school, you know, history was always my favorite subject. And naturally that led into um, a, a greater interest in politics and governance. And I had some really influential history and politics teachers early in my, my school age that piqued interest in that. And so when it came time to decide where I wanted to go to college, you know, I was, I was pretty uh, focused on political science and was considering either um, going to school in DC or going to St. Edson College, uh, where both my parents had actually gone, but they were just breaking ground on the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at that time when I was considering uh, going there. And it proved to be the perfect decision. And, you know, uh, what I realized is that St. A's gave me a front row seat to politics and governance at a level that Washington, D.C. couldn't even compete with um, because I was there for two presidential cycles, 2000 and 2004, um, and got to meet every major candidate um, with a greater degree of access than than ever before. Um, so just getting to see leaders like that, uh, candidates up close, get to meet them as as people and, you know, give a sense of what they what what makes them tick. You know, it's pretty inspiring whether you agree with them or disagree with mm-hmm. them, you know, as leaders, they're all interesting people and they have interesting stories and, and styles of, of, of how they approach solving problems. Um, so that experience was really formative. And, um, you know, I got involved with some uh, uh, politics organizations on campus. And uh, when it came time to figure out where to go, you know, I, um, I, I actually a really uh, transformative opportunity was um, uh, Tom Rath, who's a well-known New Hampshire um, politico and uh, the head of a, a prominent law firm and lobbying firm came and spoke to one of our classes. And I went up to him afterwards and introduced myself and inquired about an internship. Um, and and that turned into an internship at Rath Young and Pignatelli, which really exposed me to, um, uh, to uh, state politics in New Hampshire and got me interested in that path and thinking, hey, there might be a role here for me that I want to explore. And one thing led to another. And shortly after graduation, I was working in the governor's office at the state house and was really off and running of, you know, New Hampshire's the place to be if you're interested in politics. Absolutely. So um, do you have any political aspirations in the future? Uh, no, I, 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 you know, as passion, all that said, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I feel a strong draw to, to public service mm. and, um, you know, am interested in, uh, doing things locally, mm-hmm. um, you know, in my community. Um, I think Smart that's man. where, I think that's where people can have the most impact, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, getting involved in some of the organizations and nonprofits I've been in allows me to kind of scratch that itch and, and be part of mission-based organizations aside from working in one, uh, professionally. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, for as long as I'm in the, the chamber and, and, and BIA, uh, roles, you know, our job is to be nonpartisan advocates. Right. Um, you know, we don't endorse any particular ideology, uh, except for, for those policies and ideology that is in line with what our members want. Right. And, and the great thing about running an organization like the BIA is I, our mission is, is universally good for everybody. There it is. Um, when the business community is growing and thriving and prosperous, 
um, that's a good quality of life for everyone in New Hampshire, whether right. you work for one of those companies or not. Um, so, you know, I think that's really what uh, uh, motivates me right, right now in my, mm-hmm. in my life and uh, why I'm so excited to be part of an organization like this. Cool. Uh, I got another very important question before Matt asks, asks a very important question. Your Twitter says that you're all things Star Wars and Patriots, and it may be a controversial question, but first things first, what are we thinking about this Brady retirement and unretirement th- business? Oh, and man. where are we here? How, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it, yeah, uh, those are those are the two passions outside of work. Gotcha. Um, good, good. And uh, you know, my uh, my dad has been a season ticket holder for uh. um, almost three decades now, and uh, so I grew up uh, very fortunately going to Patriots games with him. Saw a lot of great games together. And Tom Brady was the, you know, the, the hero of, of that fandom, uh, growing up. (laughs) Um, so I was very much a proponent for him, uh, uh, not leaving the Patriots and Mm. doing anything in our power to keep him around. And I think he's proven, uh, with his Tampa Bay reign that, uh, he can still do it at whatever age he's playing at. And so yeah. we should have found a way to keep him. That oh. being said, um, now that it has happened, I'm mm. um, uh, happy for him. Would like to see him uh, continue to be successful. And uh, I'm pretty excited about Mac Jones. So, you know, yeah. I, I think yeah. to not be, there's nothing worse than being a football fan and feeling like you don't have a quarterback of the future. So <laughs> at least for right now, I'm feeling very positive. About I love that. it. I love it. He's like nonpartisan, even in his answers about his life outside of work. I like that about you, Mike. So, But great minds think alike. I'm taking the other side of that coin. Yes. So I was interviewing Mike for a profile in our May issue and found out that we have something in common, that we're both big Star Wars fans. So if you'll indulge me a little fun here, we're going to do some lightning round here. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. Here it is. Best movie. Empire Strikes Back. Excellent. Skywalker or Solo? Skywalker. Oh, man. Disappointment. But okay. Uh, who shot first? Han Solo. Oh my goodness. It was Greedo. Come on. <laughs> that wasn't the vision. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah. The, the revisionist history yeah. has to end. It was solo. All right. And uh, Jar Jar Binks, horrible or just an abomination? Oh, I, neither. Neither. <laughs> I would say, um, it, it, I mean, not great, uh, but uh, the, the Phantom Menace is at this point underrated because wow. the hate has gone so far on it that, um, you know, there's some good parts of that movie. And I, I partly because, um, you know, Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi are, are two of the best casting decisions ever made with, um, uh, Star Wars. So yeah. Mike Skelton rehabilitating Phantom Menace. Is there nothing you can't do? That that might be a stretch, but oh my goodness. Well, you know, that rounds up an amazing conversation. Thank you uh, for joining us, for telling us about the BIA, for digging into some some policy and some legislation, uh, and telling us, of course, a little bit about you too. That's what we love. So thanks. Mike Skelton is the president and CEO of the Business and Industry Association of New Hampshire. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. And now the buzz with Matt Maury. Well, the buzzword today is innovation. The U.S. alone is projected to spend nearly $600 billion on R&D this year. And New Hampshire looks like it's well-positioned to take advantage of that. 
According to a report released by WalletHub recently on the most and least innovative states, New Hampshire ranks high in several innovation sectors. We're eighth for the share of STEM professionals, seventh for the number of projected jobs that will be in demand in the state by 2028, fifth for eighth grade math and science performance, 10th for the share of science and engineering graduates aged 25 plus, ninth for their share of technology companies, and we're 12th for R&D spending per capita. So are you ready for New Hampshire's innovation economy? And that's the buzz this week. Welcome back to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll. Let's talk productivity. Not multitasking and how often you get up from your desk to grab a snack or talk with your team, but productivity software. Cardinal just ran a workshop with Grafton Regional Development Corp. on this topic, and we're talking Google Workspace, for example. You know, all the Google apps, Google Drive, Docs, Sheets, Gmail, all of that, versus the original behemoth, Microsoft and their 365 suite of products, basically Microsoft Office products, OneDrive storage, all of that fun stuff. Both have comparable suites of apps to take care of anything from email and documents to team collaboration and survey or web design. Both offer tiered monthly pricing with varying value and nonprofit pricing. Both are cloud-based and have top-notch security features, and both are scalable to enterprise level. All right, so maybe you're screaming at your desk now, wanting to know which one to choose. Matt is definitely screaming at his desk. First, stop screaming. Now, listen. Well done. That's very zen of you. There is no right answer. You can compare till the cows come home, but in the end, it's up to preference, ease of administration, cost, and sometimes what your workforce may already be used to, whether in the office or for personal use. Chances are you're using a combination of both Google and Microsoft already. So don't worry, I'll leave more information and a couple comparisons on the Cardinal blog for you. And thanks for joining me in the Cardinal Corner. We're Microsoft users, but don't tell Google. Find more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social at Cardinal Consulting NH. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. <laughs>